Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Found us. We pray that your word tonight would be encouraging. It would be enlightening. It would feed our spirit and allow your word not to return void, that that which you send it out for has purpose and has significance in the coming days, that we might walk a narrow walk closer to you evermore, O oh God, and allow your word tonight to be a lamp unto our feet and the good seed planted in good hearts that will give forth good fruit and give us understanding of your word tonight, Lord, as we press in to your purpose. And as we align ourselves with you, we might get our assignment that will glorify your name upon the earth and it would not be vain and temporal and empty and void, but that you might pour out the significance of your purpose to change the world in our generation through us as we give and surrender our time, our talents, and our treasure to be wise stewards of your grace and give you thanks for your word and for your church, for your presence, for your spirit of excellence in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Whenever we touch upon the topic of obedience like we did on Sunday, um, you see that how God begins to, he took us from anarchy to authority to obedience, and this has been the progression of the Lord in a marvelous way. Um, a lot of people question the why of obedience, and, and obedience without purpose has no significance. Um, but if obedience lines us up with what God has intended in his plans, uh, you're going to see some incredible um, connection with that. Um, we've always said in this church and in my life that obedience is the oxygen of a Christian. Once you stop being obedient, you stop breathing the spiritual life, there's only one thing left to do is to rot and to die so that no oxygen equates no life and no obedience equates religion at best. And, um, and I'm not interested in that in my life. God has always made obedience the standard of life. In Exodus 19.5, he told his people, if you follow my commands, if you're diligent to, to line up with my ways, if you will indeed put, put more than just hearing and acquiescing in your heart, conformity, but if you really obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. So I really believe that obedience leads us to the purpose of God. And the people that are lapsing in their obedience or disconnected, um, we see even as Adam and Eve in chapter 3 of Genesis um, we, we weren't able to even see the long-term purpose of God in their obedience. They fell short of obedience right up front. And um, they got distracted in Genesis chapter 3. And they got enticed. And they got uh, lured away from God's plan. And so having the instruction from the Lord... Um, we see in chapter 3, in verse 3, that the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So they had a God said. They had an instruction from the Lord, and they walked away from that. And I really believe that that, that sustains our every moment in the purpose of God, what God has said. And... At every crossroads of life that is significant, you need to have a God said. What is God saying? Um, especially for those single people that are going to get married, they come up to me, they say, Pastor, I'm in love. I found the love of my life. I'm attracted. I said, you better go get a word from God. You better go get something that tells you that this is what God, ha is, is his provision for your life, and this is the direction he wants to take you. Because um, you don't want to be in the midst of a storm later on in life and think that you were just playing it on your own, playing Russian roulette. You want to know that God has said in your life. But man walks away from this and falls utterly short of God's purpose. We don't even see um, 
until this time what the purpose of God was with man because he never, he never walked in that. Um, I want to see part of my motivation for obedience, I want to see what God has laid up for me. I want to see, I want, to, I want that to be manifest and expressed and in a tangible mindset. Um, the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He was able to see something ahead of him, and he wanted to see that fulfilled. That's why he went through hardship. There is no other purpose for obedience. And so God's commands are designed to guide you to God's very best. Everything God tells you. Um, in my immaturity, I thought God speaking in my life was a hindrance and a deviation from my desire and, and what, what would feel good. But only recently have I understood that these commandments that are there for my obedience are designed to guide me to life's very best. And, and you should really meditate on that as we uh, consider this word tonight. Obedience, hard, suffering, endured, leading me to God's best. And we're seeing this in the life of those that obey. In my book, uh, Restoring the Gates That Prevail, the fountain uh, gate um, talks about those that will find their full provision of God's goodness to the degree they wait upon God's promises. And so a lot of people don't. So they never see God's best. Um, they chase down other cisterns and they say they're broken cisterns. They promise to quench the thirst and never do. Psalm 5 verse 11 to obey God is to place your trust in Him. To know that, that if you obey, you're going to see God's best. Because God's not playing games. And so Psalm 5.11 says, let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. I, I see it all the time. This is what I live for. I, I love to see people honor God. I love to see that. Uh, one of the, the testimonies we have here is Wendy. All her friends got married. And she was like, I'm waiting on God, but the guy doesn't show up. And she waited and waited and waited and waited till she turned purple and blue and orange and green. And everybody's like, in the flesh, saying, you're a fool. You're trusting in God. And so we had seen and, and God had shown us that, that he was going to do miraculous things in the year 2012. And everybody that year seemed to be a very powerful year for almost everybody in our congregation. I mean, things were happening that were ludicrous, crazy, exciting, and wonderful. And we, we paraded that whole year saying, there he goes again, there he goes again, and he did it again. And look, the promise. And it was December 31st. It was 11.55 at night. And we go into the cafeteria and Wendy's like, well, I guess this is not my year. And 30 seconds before the end of the year, some guy stood up on a chair and asked her, will you marry me? And the provision of God was faithful. I was like that, the guy who hits the Grand Slam comes around third and slides at home. He just made it in the nick of time. But that girl, her weight was full worth it. And she could have never, never even remotely explained how God was going to uh, provide just, just, wow, with full illustration of mercy and grace and goodness. And, and even now as she just had her baby girl, and, and she is so beautiful, so beautiful, that family, and the peace and the joy of having obeyed God. And... Um, it's not the heritage of her family. They, they come from Dominican Republic, and, and, and it's not to be waited upon. You, you're looked upon as dumb, as slow, as incompetent, as uh, incapable. And, and how glorious. Listen to me. The Bible says those who wait upon the Lord will never be put to shame. Those who place their trust in God will never be put to shame. So let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy. But I want to tell you that that's where obedience leads you. Inexpressible joy. 
because God is the one that's standing in their defense. And let those also who love your name be filled with joy in you. And that's exactly what the Lord tells his people. Uh, Let's go to verse 12. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. The, The obedience leads to blessing every time. There's never a loss. There's never a lapse. There's never a void. The joy is because the blessing follows obedience. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. Those who trust with favor, you will surround him as a refuge, as a, as a place of uh, protection, as a place of provision. But if you were to see, as God tells us to seek out uh, obedience, um, you'll see why there in John 14, 15, we said this on Sunday and, and we repeat it in the direction of our love for God leads us to obedience. If you love me, you will you will follow after my instructions, my commandments. Um, the opposite is to be true, and I said this a couple weeks ago, I said it tonight, that I'm just now understanding that these commandments are the embrace of God. They're the love of God in my life. And so we see that Jesus says this in John 15, the next chapter, verse 10. If you're able to keep my commandments, you remain in my love. If you stay within the parameters of obedience, my love is going to keep you just as I have kept my Father's commandments. I follow His instructions. And man, I'm just quenched in the outpouring of God's love towards my life. That's what He says. I have kept my Father's commandments and abide within the parameters of His love. And why? We said why. Um, Obedience leads to blessing. Blessing is the expression of receiving, and it says it in verse 11. And he says, the why, these things I've spoken to you, that, your, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So we see that, that love uh, is our motivation to keep his commandments. His commandments allow us to walk in obedience. His obedience allow us to receive the blessing that becomes an expression of the full measure of joy. And this is what the non-godly people are looking for. The Bible says they're running to this place and to that place. They're seeking out these things, but my Father in heaven is pouring them out on those that that understand and, and meditate and posture themselves in love. Now read the verse 10 again. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in His love. These things I've spoken to you, verse 11, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Now this is what man lives for in his total um, Uh, pursuit he's I want to be happy I want to be satisfied and there is none outside of walking learning how to walk in obedience Um, I just told a man tonight came into my office I said you know something the measure of your Christianity up until where you have reached is a good thing um, you got salvation, you got baptism, you got a restored marriage, you got a family, but now begins a walk to endure hardship, to persevere under suffering. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing now to brace yourself to pursue the full will of God, denying yourself and your pleasure so that you might see God's pleasure and you might see the blessing of God upon your family? So these are the forms of blessings that come to our life as we begin to obey. First, peace. Uh, I bought a vehicle right out of law school, and I thought, you know, okay, I have enough from driving cars that, that are not the ones that I would like. So I went out and I bought a car and I started working. And the, the Lord says, what are you doing? I said, I got me a good deal. <laughs> I got me a nice car. And he says, I didn't give you that. I go, I know, but listen, it's nice to take a client in a nice car. It's nice to be a lawyer with a nice, and he says, no, you're reaching out of my 
provision for your life. And I've never been stingy with you. And I was like, man. So I drove that car for two weeks, for 14 days, and had no peace. And I sold it. And all the members of my family, you know, they're tracking your life. You've graduated from law school. You got your first nice car. And, and all of a sudden, I would rather have peace in an old car than have God confront me every morning that I'm a total idiot. And so in two weeks, that car was sold. And people didn't understand that. But part of the blessing that comes through obedience is the peace of God. And that's, that's huge. That's, that's huge to have peace in your life. And uh, just like Carlos told me last night after the men's meeting, um, or the night before, he says, you know something? I would give anything that our family might have peace. Give anything. Because it's priceless. So the blessings of obedience lead a peace that beyond measure, you get to sleep at night when you're obeying. Your joy is filled like we just read. Um, you begin to navigate life with something that lines up with God's purpose. Um, Psalm 37, verse 4, he says, as you begin to fix your relationship with God in obedience, that's called delight yourself in the Lord. And he begins to give you the desires of your heart in the right place, at the right time, in the right season. He is not a stingy God. He is a lavish and extravagant God. Within a year of selling my old car, there came the provision of God and backed up into my law office, a, a flatbed tow truck with a brand new car. And, and God says, this is, this is what I give. This is the time. This is the season. And so there's so much peace tied to that, to knowing that he is going to give to us the desires of our heart. Any expression opposite for this, and we see Isaiah 64, 6, he says, all of us have become dirty in our lack of obedience. We are all like a, something that is contaminated. And all our righteous attempts to do things, I want to say that there's a lot of times we think, okay, we're not being obedient to God, but we're not robbing anybody, we're not raping anybody, we're not, you know, we, we haven't stabbed somebody with a knife. Yeah, that's fine, but listen to me. It is a stench what you're doing. You're trying to progress, and it says it there, you, all your righteousness is like a filthy rag. Because there is no expression of the life of God. There's that struggle. We all fade as a leaf. Anything you do outside of obedience, I don't know if you know this, but anything you do outside of obedience, the glory fades quickly. But the glory of God doesn't fade. Everything is, is a working from glory to glory. And our iniquities have made us being tossed like the wind and have taken us away from being aligned to God's purpose. So I could do a million things. I speak English, I speak Spanish, I'm a lawyer, I'm educated, um, I, I have friends in many places, many opportunities, and I could advance myself. I could posture myself, and all that stuff is dead eventually. Or I could stand with my meditation trying to hear my God day and night. Lord, what are you saying? What do you want from me? Where do you want me? How do you want me? I want to be perfected in obedience. And then that's when you're well grounded and rooted. And Psalm 1 says when your meditation is the word of God day and night, your leaf does not fade. It does not wither. It is not taken away. It is not blown. It's planted next to a river of, of running water. It says his leaf will not wither. Everything he does shall prosper. I want to have an ascending relationship with obedience in Christ. And in a particular moment in my life, I went from the first thing. The first thing God will speak to you. If you get serious with God, it's time to obey. And the first thing God told me, he pointed at my dad. He says, obey him. And in that obedience came the blessing of purpose, direction. I wanted to be a psychologist. I would have ended up frustrated. And, and I told my dad, I said, I'm, I'm going to be a psychologist. I'm going to study. I'm going to help young kids that are having divorced parents like I was having. And, 
And my dad says, no, you, you need to become a lawyer. I said, what is that? What is an attorney? And so out of the mouth of the person that God had placed in my life came the picture of the prosperity and blessing that only led a character formation. I was dealing with my character. It wasn't about an education. It was about faithfulness of obedience. And, and so going off to law school and listening to those uh, professors, they would say, you got to read 300 pages tonight. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. You mean 300 pages this semester? They said, no, tonight. And for six weeks, every night, 300 pages. And so all I did was eat, sleep, and read for six weeks. And to the degree that you conform to obedience to those people that are in your life, it prepares you for the next level. It prepares you for the next level. It prepares you for the next level. And to the degree that you procrastinate, you're lazy, you come up with a thousand excuses, you'll never see the glory of God. You'll never see the purpose of God. And we become like this. We become something unuseful. We become a vessel that is not useful. Um, our best efforts are like filthy rags. They're just fit to be thrown away. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Other things are blowing in our life. But if we want to see the glory of God, and that's what I feel that God is leading us to, Romans 6.16 says this is the direction. Do you not know that whoever you offer yourself up to obey, you become that person's expression? Do you not know that to whom you present yourself to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience that leads to righteousness? Who are you listening to? Because that's where you're going. And that is the promise of what you have. And if you're listening to God, you're going to see his glory. Verse 17. But thank God. Say with me, thank God. That while we were slaves to obeying sin, you have become obedient with all your heart to the standard of teaching in which you were instructed and to which you were committed. Now, if we're fit to obey, you know where we're headed. You know we're going to see the glory of God. We're going to see his faithfulness. These are the men who were able to express that reality. We have the first man, Noah, in Genesis 6.22. The Bible says, according to all, Noah did according, to, could you underline all, that God commanded him so he did. So I want to ask you, how much to what degree are you answering the call of what God is expecting you right now? It's not going to be to the degree that you cannot do. Um, I, I contend with men all the time because they say, Pastor, I can't. And I know from my own expression that God will never ask you to give something you don't have. God is not crazy. What's in your hand, what's attainable, what's within reach, that's what God's asking for. He's not asking you for what you don't have. And men always contend, says, well, I just can't fly. Look, I try and I just, hey, don't go nowhere. And God's not asking you that. God's asking you to walk to the place where you need to be so you can see his glory. So don't make it so difficult. As a lawyer, many clients would come up to me. And they would tell me, Pastor, I mean, lawyer, uh, I didn't kill my wife. I said, you're not being charged with killing your wife. You're being charged with punching her in the face. Quit defending yourself. Well, I'm not a drug addict. No, they're not saying you're a drug addict. They're saying you punched her in the face. Well, I work real hard and pay the mortgage. They're not saying that you're not doing that either. They're saying you're a total idiot. And so God is not going to ask you for what you can't give but you bet your life he's not going to take less than what you can give. He's not going to play games. And so it says here, Noah did according all that God commanded, he so did it. Um, chapter 7, verse 5, the following chapter. Again, it's not just once. Chapter 7, verse 5. And Noah did according to all that the Lord God commanded him. Second time. He's going to ask you what to do, and it's going to be a full, complete surrender of what you need to do. 
And we saw on Sunday that he asked Saul to go and destroy that entire city, and he began to take measurements and decide what he was going to do. And he rebelled against God. And he only gave God a certain measure of what God was asking for. And so Samuel tells him, you acted like a total imbecile. That's my translation. You've been very foolish. Because having been able to see the full extent of God's glory over your life, now it's taken away from you. God is subtracting his purpose. In chapter 7, verse 9, Genesis 7, 9, uh, we have another verse here that says, Two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And then we also have verse 16. According to all that God commanded Noah, so he did. So those that entered the male and female, male and female of all the flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. So again, there's, there's instruction, basic instruction, and it's all to see the glory of God's salvation. Abraham was able to obey and become the father of Israel, the father of a nation. Moses was able to obey and became uh, a de- the great deliverer, causing p- God's people to go. Joshua was able to fight the battles of the Lord as Moses' general. And we see in Joshua, if he, was good, if, he, if he was here tonight and was giving a recommendation, he would, he would quote Joshua 1.8. And, and look, look how emphatic it is that our obedience is tied to our prosperity. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night. God, speak to me. Tell me. And observe to do according to all that is therein contained and written. For then, here comes the blessing, you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. We were talking in the men's meeting last week that a gentleman by the name of Dave Ramsey that is an economic financial guru in the first pages of his book, Entree Leadership, like entrepreneur, he says, I don't want anybody to be confused and I'm not trying to force my religion down your throat. But I was bankrupt and I had lost all my businesses for doing my own thing. The only difference that I'm doing now is I'm following the whole counsel of God's order according to the instructions of the Bible. That's what he says. And so he has seen just an expression of purpose and significance that is going to be around for a while as God holds him up. Deuteronomy 5.29, we have again, O, and every time I read a verse with that first uh, expression of O, I can see God going, (laughs) Oh, oh. That they would such, it says, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children that follow forever. You guys see God going, oh, oh. Why is it a constant deviating? Why is it a constant compromise, a constant negotiation? Why is it that we, like the people of Israel, want to take 40 years to an 11-day trip? Why do we allow those thoughts in our head? Why do we think we have better thoughts than God? We're going to get ahead by our own strength, and it reminds me of, of that. One of my favorite Bible verses, 1 Samuel chapter 2, it says, No man will get ahead by his own strength. God has already prescribed that as a serious um, reality here upon the earth. And you can read it with me in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And it says here, verse 9, God is given to guard the feet of his followers, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by his own strength no man will prevail. Do you guys see that there? For by strength no man shall prevail. You're not going to get ahead in your own thoughts. And that's why we practice every morning. We wake up with a lot of ideas and great thoughts, and we flush them down the toilet. And we say, Lord, fill me up with your wisdom. 
Fill me up with your direction. Fill me up with your heart. Um, as you advance in obedience, you're going to overtake many. You're going to overtake peace. And so it is he who guards our feet, but the wicked are not going to prevail because they think they do it on their own strength. Again, let's go to 2 Chronicles 26, 5, the story of Uriah, another illustration of a man who thinks that he's going to get ahead. But um, when he deviates from God, the Bible says, as Uzziah sought God in the days of Zechariah, Zechariah being the, the priest of God who had understanding in the visions of God. In the life of this man, Uzziah, there was an actual man who God had placed there to reveal God's heart. And that's who Zechariah was. And so instead of walking in his own mindset, he was listening to the man who had understanding of God's. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Now, if you were to measure how many times in the last 10 years you went to go seek the Lord for what you're doing, how's your prosperity going? I told men right before the economic inflation to invest in the kingdom of God and not to buy additional houses. And not many men listened. And if we were to say the amounts of money that were lost in this church, we would have like a $5 million building. Because men thought they were going to get ahead with the advice from God knows what. But the Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So even pizza delivery boys were buying three and four duplexes. And businessmen who had incredible um, funds and investments lost horrific amounts of money. Because they were not walking in the fear of God. They were walking in the economic booms. So as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And as long as he didn't seek the Lord, there was a deficiency in his return. So as we continue to pursue um, this, Romans 5.19 says, For by one man's disobedience, many suffered. It only takes one we're going, to make, we're going to make it nice. I would have said knucklehead a couple years ago. I'm not going to say that. By one stubborn man's heart, many people do not see the glory of God. They do not see the peace of God. They do not see the, the, the blessing of obedience. As one man is disobedient, many were made sinners. And you'll see in the Bible all throughout, so also by one man's obedience, many will be super blessed. Many will feel peace. Many will feel the refreshing winds of being able to fly with God's heart. By one man's disobedience, many suffer. By one man's obedience, many huh, ride the wave and the crest of blessing. So to disconnect starts in disobedient. To connect starts with obedience. Disconnect leads us, I mean, disobedience leads to disconnect and obedience leads us to be connected. Obedience rarely is an event. It's not a one-time thing. It's a process. And we see examples like 2 Kings chapter 5. This man, I, I love to read this portion of scripture because it says that while he was, 2 Kings 5, verse 1, uh, while he was uh, victorious, this commander, this great uh, general of the Syrian army, was great, honorable. He was a leader. In the eyes of his master, he was accomplished. And through him, the Lord had given many victories to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor. The guy was super courageous. But he had a sickness of leprosy. And so many men are doing many great big things that the Lord is allowing to prosper, but they're falling apart in their personal lives. And so there it says in verse 2 that there had gone out raiders from Aram, had gone out and taken young captive girl in Israel, and she was 
taken to be a servant in Naaman's house to Naaman's wife. And she told the mistress, she told her, uh, Naaman's wife, if only my master would go to the prophet who's in Samaria, he would find a cure for his leprosy. Well, we know that leprosy has no cure. And this is also... um, an expression of a hopeless case where there's no way out. I want to suggest to you, obedience is the way out of your hopeless case. That's the doorway God has provided. Find out what you're supposed to know and do from God and do it. And you're going to see miraculous. And so this guy was an unbeliever. In verse 4, he said, he went to the king, his master, and he says, that little girl says that if I go to this place and listen to this man, I will be healed. The little girl is witnessing, like we saw Michelle on Sunday. She's witnessing to all friends. If you guys come to our church and you begin to obey, God will heal your marriages. And these people are coming, and God is doing miraculous signs. So he went. Finally, the king says, you better get going, and I'll give you a letter. In verse 5, by all means, go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him many uh, clothings and gold and silver In verse 6, it says, the letter that he took to the king was read. With this letter, I'm sending you my servant Naaman to you that you may cause the cure of his condition. And so the king thought he was picking a fight and sent him to the prophet. Now, the miraculous part is in verse 10, in the process of obedience. Because look at how many steps it takes from hearing the providential direction. Your, Your provision is in, I don't want to. I don't believe it. I don't consider it. I don't want to see it. But he went, got his instructions, and gets to that place. And Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, these are the instructions. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. You'll be back on course. So I tell people that backslide all the time. You're disconnected. You're withering. You're dying. You have no fruit. You're going really bad. Start from the last place where you stopped obeying. Where did you allow disrespect to come in a relationship where you don't have the capacity to honor, to trust? Seven times your flesh shall be made clean. So he got super upset because our tendency is to never walk in direction of this process. Verse 11, and he says, surely I thought, but Naaman became uh, furious and went away saying, indeed, I said to myself... That's the wrong place. If you're obeying you, you're at the wrong place. If your thoughts have overrided the instruction you're receiving, you're at the wrong place. He will surely come out to me. This is my perception. This is what I thought. This doesn't line up with my thoughts. And stand and call on the name of the Lord. And this is the way I want my provision. You're calling the shots. And wave his hand, abracadabra. He had his own philosophy on how his life was going to get fixed and heal the leprosy. The only problem is that he's not God. And God had already lined up a process that he was to walk in showing his obedience, his, listen to me, it's called the fear of God. It's fear of God. It has nothing to do with anything else. Verse 12. So as he was walking away furious, are not the rivers in far, far uh, better uh, the rivers of Damascus better, the, the logical reasoning that, that comes to trip us up in our obedience. I've, I've seen that happen so much in, in our reasoning. We think, well, if I do this and do this, then that's going to go well with me. They don't know. They don't understand. Better than all the rivers. Could I not wash in them? Isn't that a way out? Isn't this another idea? And then I'll be clean. So he turned and went away in a rage. You got to wonder what is the one that sets us in the course of a direction for more destruction. Verse 13, as he was going away, thank God, there was a servant that came near him and spoke to him and said, Hey, my father, my leader, if this man would have told you, this prophet would have told you to do something spectacular, you would have done it. How much more simple obedience, wash and be clean. We're, sometimes the obedience level, some, some wives tell me, you know something, I'm just having a hard problem with my husband. I, I don't know how to, I said, your husband is not asking you to drive to the Everglades to swim with alligators. He's asking you to be home on time and, and, and to prepare conditions for 
for a nice house. You could do that. You, you could run a small country for God's sakes. So conform to these simple acts of obedience so that the presence of God might manifest. So that you say, you know something, I want to see the glory of God. Let me see what's going to happen. Verse 14, he decided to do so. So he went down and he dipped himself seven times. I don't know to what extent you disqualify yourself. How far do you go in a... And you're, you're all worked up about... How far do you go before you lose the blessing of what God had for you? And, and obviously your family and, and your marriage. And, how far? And so I'll, I'll tell you something. For some people, God has been saying the same thing for three years. For three years. It's the same counsel. And he has direction and there's provision and there's going to be a glory that follows in the process of obedience. And they still postpone it. Seven times in the Jordan according to obedience. The saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. I'm marveled by an example we have in this church, which is David Palma. A young man that uh, some years ago came to my office. He was distraught. It was summertime. Summertime becomes a time of distraught uh, for young people. Uh, he was single. He, he comes up to my office and says, Pastor, I have two things to do. I could go become a bank teller and I'll be in a private, um, a, a, a special, it's not just a bank teller, it's a special line of dealing with counterfeit funds and monies and, and I'll be specialized and I'll be making six seventy five an hour. I was like, wow, that's huge. What's the, what's the alternative? Well, I could go and become a medical doctor and go to medical school. I go, let me think about that. Okay, medical school's good. <laughs> Takes a second to know that ever since he was a small child, he, he had gone over the, through like 10, 15 operations in his heart. And he wasn't expected to live, and he always wanted to be a heart surgeon. And I said, what's in line with the glory of God? What is God doing in your life? Get the heck out of here now. And that was July, I think it was 16, I still remember. And within two weeks... He had nothing prepared. Came a grant, his apartment, his registration, his license, the airfare. There was like a hundred things that needed to fall into place for him to start school that August. And it all was like, everything lined up. He's on. And guess what? Five years has already passed, and he's about to get back. He's gotten married in that course. But, but a step in the direction of obedience speeds up the glory of God, the purpose of God, the design of God. And so this man also walked in that regard and saw. Uh, I, just real quickly, in um, John 9, verse 1, the condition of a man who's blind, and, and this is, I'm seeing more and more that, that many men are blind Many men, listen to me, this has been the strongest stumbling block of men in this church. They, they say like this, how come the pastor is the one that has to see? Listen, look, look how crazy this is. As long as they receive instruction for their lives, you see prosperity and blessing and flourishing until they prospered as long as they're receiving instruction. The day they say, how come you see and I don't? I'm going to show you I see. And it's crazy what takes place when they lose the capacity to obey. They've seen 10 years of an example of flourishing and peace and joy. And then, I don't know how it happened, but it arises in their heart. Pride, resentment. I don't know what the sentiment is, but everything is washed away. And so Jesus comes by and sees a blind man. And he does the, the, unra the irrational. And he spits, verse 6. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva, which is very unconventional, unorthodox, spread it on the eyes of this man and gave him instructions, go and wash at the pool of Siloam. That, that, that word Siloam means to have been sent. There's something in the kingdom of God 
that puts a thermometer on the attitude of humility and obedience that equates prosperity and blessing. And, and we heard it from Sixto Porras a couple years ago. He says, until you humble yourself to be able to receive instruction, you're never going to see the next level of where God wants to take you. As a supernatural um, instruction to the kingdom of God. Practical in my life. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Again, process of obedience. To be able to, to formulate what, what, what is... What is being downloaded? What is coming from the Lord to my life? So <laughs> I was in law school one time and, and, and the law school professor was playing the judge and I was, I was arguing the case and I wanted so bad to win. And every time he says, Joaquin, I said, wait, 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 wait. This is what I'm gonna present now. And, and he says, Joaquin. I said, wait, wait, wait. This is gonna, and I was trying to guess and he goes, hey, knucklehead. If you let me tell you what you gotta do, I'm going to let you win this case. But I was so involved in trying to do it myself and trying to, to garner for, to posture myself in a place when he wanted to tell me. And it was so hard, so hard to, to even, uh, you know, allow him to interrupt my eloquent argument and discussion to win that case. And a lot of times that's where we're sitting. God is like, okay, tell me when you're done. I'll tell you what you need to do, and you're going to have a great time. And we can't. We can't. So he went, the process of obedience. And, and I, I ask you to be able to do that in, in uh, John chapter 20. Jesus shows up, and they've been fishing all night. Verse 4. They've been fishing all night, and he says to them, hey, this is, this is hilarious. John 21, verse 4, I'm sorry. John 21, verse 4. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, and the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. A lot of times we don't recognize the Lord is involved. I love the next verse, because verse 5 says, So Jesus said to them, Children... Another translation, hey, you brats, you guys that are doing something that's not consistent with the instruction I gave you, have you found anything walking in your immaturity? And they answered, no. Then he said to them, then cast your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some principle of obedience and blessing. What did they say? <laughs> You don't know what you're talking about. We're the professional fishermen. We have assessed the situation. We know the tides. We know the currents. Simon says, now when Simon heard that, it was the Lord, he put out his garment. No, that's not it, right? Let's go back to verse 6. He said to them, cast out the nets on the boat and they cast out the nets. Now they were not able to haul it in for such a big cash. It says the disciples of Jesus, uh, the whom loved Jesus, said to Peter, it is the Lord. We're seeing that it is a man who's given us instruction. We've seen the fruit of following his lead. And verse 8, it says, and the other disciples came in small boats, for they were not a far from shore, only a hundred yards away, dragging a net full of fish. I'm desiring to see time and again that the more we walk in baby steps of obedience in the right direction, we will be dressed with the glory of God that far exceeds our efforts in the natural. Let's stand tonight and ask God, God, enough of this. I don't want to spend another 20 years. I don't want to spend another 40 years trying to figure it out. And your children coming after you uh, will require, and I was saying this at the baptism on Sunday, that our faithfulness and obedience is what allows our children to take the same form of servant-mindedness. And even as I was preparing for this tonight, I can see more clearly how when people come in from off the street and they see 
a obedient, subservient nature and condition in our hearts. And, and listen to me. We're in a beautiful setting, and I feel the presence of God here in a mighty way. But at home, amongst a husband and a wife that doesn't have a spirit of humility and obedience, and stubbornness prevails, and hardship, and everything is, I have to ask you 50 times, and, and you always want to do it your way. I, I can see how if we embrace the spirit of the Lord and the understanding of what he's given us tonight, um, how we're going to see another expression of his glory in, in our marriage, in our family, as, a, as, a, as it results in the church, um, and then how God will entrust us to the nations to go teach by our character, because teaching is not wah, 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 wah. A lot of us have a lot of this and a lot of this, but we have no life to show uh, the servant obedience heart to not have to be told 50 things, to not have to contend with 500 times. Um, and so the opposite of that obedience and the expression of salvation and glory is a big fish that swallows us for a season. It might be bitterness. It might be resentment. Resentment. It might like fill your head up with a lot of stuff that's not from the kingdom of God. And then when you finally say, okay, I'm willing to get rid of this. This is disgusting. Then God will put you at the same place like he did with Jonah and give the same exact instructions. And then you'll see God's purpose and answer. Father, we give you thanks for your goodness tonight and that your word would be more than just ecclesiastical theology that the life of Christ might be revealed through his spirit in our hearts and that the glories of your blessing and fruitfulness from being grounded and rooted in the realities of obedience would be bread and fruit for many. And we pray that we might see an expression of blessing, prosperity, and that our joy might be full and our frustrations be gone. We ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord, and we'll finish with a song to the Lord. And then the cafeteria is open for fellowship. Standing here in your presence, thinking of the good things.